Hello, I'm Hugh Ronzani and welcome to Tales of Baroque. Each episode you'll join me and my esteemed guests on another fabulous dive into the Baroque world, its characters, composers, politics, popes, kings and queens. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. So, wherever you are, sit back, relax, and enjoy this special festive edition of Tales of Baroque. For many, the festive period at the end of the year is an ideal chance to reflect on the last 12 months, but also to find each other to surround ourselves with loved ones, friends, and family. And since the first Noel Noel concerts in 2000, the Brandenburg Choir has regrouped with a wonderful sense of family and joy, but none of the music they perform would be possible without your amazing skills. Heidi Jones, welcome to the program and thank you for joining me to talk about the work that you do. Thank you, Hugh. Now, it's a very special episode indeed because Heidi has invited me to her humble abode and we're sitting here among birds and workmen. Uh, <laughs> So apologies for any, any odd sounds you might hear during the recording. Heidi, thank you for having me in your home. It's a pleasure, Hugh. Now, you and I have known each other since 2007, the first year that I sang with the choir. Your first year was 2006, I believe. Is that correct? I think that's correct. My background is actually as a pianist and accompanist, but I guess after 15 years working with the orchestra... I can call myself the repetitor and chamber organist for the Brandenburg Orchestra. I think you have earned that title, <laughs> indeed. And why don't we start, because you are, it's your first time on the program, uh, with, a, with a short introduction. So you've mentioned a few things, but tell us who you are and, and what you do, Heidi. Well, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, and I work um, full-time as a, a accompanist and performance coach in a school. So life is busy, varied, and... Um, Joyful. Well, I, I understand what you mean by joyful. Today we were <laughs> talking about our wonderful children just before starting recording as well. And, um, and uh, I know that uh, music is often something uh, that runs in the family. So I presume there's, there's probably a bit of music in your family, is there? There's a love of music in my family and musicians dotted throughout the extended family. Apparently my great aunt taught Peter Allen the piano up in northern New South Wales. Well, that's quite a claim. That's a claim to fame, but he wouldn't sit still, apparently. She tried to teach him the piano. So there are, there are musicians in the family, but my immediate family were more music lovers and my parents understood the value of music education for children and the benefits that it brings, um, you know, for all learning areas. And, and as a keyboardist, when does the keyboard come into this picture? Do you remember it distinctly, having your first keyboard lesson? So I grew up in regional New South Wales where there was not a lot of offerings and we had a piano at home and there was a piano teacher in town. So it was that simple really. Um, I didn't you know, get to choose from a great selection of instruments. But I was always keen to spend time with the piano. I always – it was part of my – after school routine, not necessarily in formal practice, but just being with the instrument, discovering harmony, you know, through trial and error and 
yeah, just entertaining myself on a quiet afternoon away from my siblings. Well, it sounds like a wonderful way to entertain yourself. I mean, I, I wasn't quite as disciplined as, as you and, and ended up going down the singing route probably because it was just easier. <laughs> But yeah. um, but was there sing- was there any singing involved or or, uh, or at what point did uh, working with choirs or with vocalists start? Well, even in primary school, I recall accompanying the school choir uh, very early on at school. Maybe I was one of the only kids that did learn the piano, and maybe the cassette player broke that day. I'm not sure what you know how it happened to pass, but I you know did some accompanying in primary school. I also accompanied by siblings, you know, in a Steadfords and Suzuki graduation CDs and that sort of thing, just, you know, through, you know, it being necessary in a country town. So singing um, singing was probably part of my high school life more so than my primary school life. We moved from Inverell, quite a small regional town, to Armidale, which has got quite an um, exciting musical life for a country town. I sung in the school choir... We did combined school concerts down here in Sydney and um, I'm sure I accompanied the school choir. It's impossible that I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all of that experience, I mean, I'm sure it would serve you very well um, as you transition from that sort of, you know, student and, and working with school choirs and, and to a professional career. Yeah, I feel like I've had a lot. I had a lot of experience before I even left school. Whether um, I accompanied other students' HSE exams, you know, after I'd come out of the room to do my own, I went in, you know, to accompany someone else's. So, you know, being in a regional area actually probably gave me more opportunities because, um, yeah, I was one. I could do it, and I was willing to do it, and I always found it very enjoyable to work with other people, and that's still my favourite way to make music. And how and when did you meet Paul Dyer then? When did the inimitable Paul Dyer come into this, uh, come into frame for you? Um, I met Paul Dyer through um, James Beck, who was a cellist in the orchestra for many years. Um, and both people, I think, are really good at making connections of people with similar energy and direction in life. Um, so James introduced me to lots of people, you know, from his circle when I was new to Sydney and Paul and I just sort of enjoyed each other's company from the very first day we met. And your first Noel Noel was in 2006. What memories do you have of that program or perhaps even the, the rehearsal process itself, the first time walking into that, in the, into that room? Oh, I'm sure I would have been quite nervous. I, I, I recall I may have been playing the piano in the 2006 season, so that would have been an easier um, introduction for me. I think we were at the Chapter Hall in um, at St Mary's. Um, I would have been nervous and excited, which, you know, are the two emotions that we all carry into most rehearsals and performances. Um, I've just always felt the most amazing support from Paul and trust and faith, um, which I think everyone does on stage with Paul. So I think that's probably what got me through because it certainly wasn't my experience previous experience on the chamber organ well the um the interesting thing i uh, i think about that that whole process as well and it would have been very different for you is that there are several sopranos several altos several tenors several basses so at least for the singers um walking into the chapter hall that um i also remember fondly for the first time from in 2007 um at least from the singer's perspective there are others in the same boat and you're not alone whereas (laughs) 
there's only one keyboard sitting there um, and the responsibility for keeping all of us in line is uh, shared between yourself and, and Paul. So uh, I can only imagine what that would have uh, felt like. And <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it is a huge responsibility and my aim is always to make the rehearsal flow as seamlessly as possible for everyone in the room. Um, so to intuitively sort of know where Paul's headed or to find the part, you know, of the, you know, of the group of singers that may have, you know, lost their, lost their place in the room just to keep a rehearsal moving. So I think you need a lot of intuition um, and you need to know when to play and when to stop and where your boundaries are. But I think that's why Paul and I work so well together is because... We've never had to talk about any of that. It's just come naturally. Well, that's that's a, a phenomenal thing. And um, and tell me now about the, the the first time playing a chamber organ. When was that? When, when was the first time you actually sat uh, not at a, a a piano keyboard, but at a chamber organ? So it would have been in a Brandenburg choir rehearsal. Um, someone would have turned it on for me, and <laughs> and you know the music would have been put in front of me, and I just I. I learned on the job um, with Paul, you know, calling out a few directions here and there and me working most things out by trial and error. Um, so it's always something I've loved though and that sort of the way you can contribute and the sound you can make or not make depending on what's required. Um, and I've come to love the instrument actually. I've had to learn. It's quite different to the piano, like all the, the way you move your fingers um, – quite different and I used to make everything very blurry by playing the organ the same way one plays the piano. But um, I, I've got a much better idea these days, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How to uh, make look, it sound good. And I've, I've heard the, um, the the fruit of all of that labour as well. You may have been learning on the job, but I think you learnt very quickly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, look, I, I've, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still there. <laughs> Look, the bass section is indebted to you, Heidi Jones, forever because we are often uh, led astray by, um, uh, by, by what goes on and, and especially tempo seems to be a problem that uh, the bass section <laughs> tends, to <laughs> tends to have to deal with and uh, your, off, uh, your odd notes here and there in the context of a, 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 an a cappella work as well, you know, it, yeah. it just can make all the difference to that flow you were talking about. Yeah. Um, not having to stop and then start from the beginning again and because yeah. we realise where the mistake was because you played a note for us and, you know, to watch out for the next time yeah. um, without having to just distinctly go back and practice that one thing. Yeah, look, and we're blessed in the Brandenburg, obviously, with your team of professional choristers, which makes the job with the orchestra very different to a job, say, with a school choir. So um, sometimes I feel like I've got it quite easy. And most of the time, you know, the first rehearsal sounds just divine. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, talking about things that sound divine, you obviously learnt the instrument and how to exploit the, um, the sound of the chamber organ very quickly because there is a fabulous recording that comes to us from the Bach Eternal program in May 2012 where you, Heidi Jones, were on the organ for the cantata Wir danken dir Gott, wir danken dir. And... Many of the listeners to this podcast would be familiar with um, with that music because it's in fact the intro and uh, closing music for the other podcast Brandenburg hosts, which is Baroque Now. Perhaps you could tell us before I put that uh, recording on a little bit about um, about the Bach Eternal program and and, um, and this wonderful solo that you got to play. Yeah, well, 
It was an interesting phone call, as many phone calls with Paul Dyer tend to be. Um, so Paul rang and said, I've got, you know, this this idea, Heidi, that you could you could play the solo for this amazing piece. Um, you know, it's in May 2012. And I said, Paul, but I need to let you know that, you know, I'm having a baby in June 2012. Oh, that doesn't matter. That's fine. That's all good. All good. No worries. So um, that was how it came about. But um, I've got, yeah, fantastic memories of um, being really thrown in the deep end at that point in time and but being supported so beautifully by everyone else on stage. So once again, this is the Sinfonia from BWV 29, the cantata Wir danken dir Gott, wir danke dir, featuring Heidi Jones on chamber organ, Paul Dyer and the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. So Heidi, this is—it's one of those works that brings such joy, I mm. think. Uh, and and to anyone who thinks that Bach's music uh, may not be joyful, mm. I mean, here you are—you're well served. Yeah. Uh, this is. What did it feel to be on stage and to perform this uh, live? Oh, it was completely exhilarating. Um, I can still remember the the feeling of standing there. It was the first item in the concert, you know. So we all got to walk out together and. Um, and then oh, one never quite knows what tempo Paul might start something at. So, you know, adrenaline is running high, but um, oh, somehow all the notes just pour out, you know. It's very, you know, of course you have to prepare for that to happen, but every night it was, a, it was really a thrill to, um, to perform and to feel so supported by everyone else on stage, especially the brass players, I think, who I often am standing next to at the back there. Um, so to connect with, you know various parts of the orchestra at various points in the piece just to, um, you know, to pull off those stunts. <laughs> and that's what I find incredible about the organ. Um, it's probably uh, because of the sorts of repertoire that it tends to be used uh, in, but the, the rapport that the organ and you as an organist seem to have with the brass section but also the continuous section as a whole, um, you really are a team and, and, yeah. um, and blending of some very different sounding instruments happens seamlessly on stage. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful position to be in and, you know, there's so much sort of eye contact and connection in the orchestra from all, you know, all parts of the stage really. And people often look over before their big solo or, you know, before something that's difficult for them but, you know, so we can all support each other through those, you know, the corners of the music together. Um, yeah, and playing in a continuous section, like, you know, that's really a lot of fun. <laughs> And tell us about the instrument you were playing in, in this particular concert uh, back in May 2012. So in 2012, we were using the Manda organ, which was um, acquired by the orchestra back in 2002. Um, very grateful for the support of the Friends of the Brandenburg, as it was called at that, at that point, who raised the funds to purchase this instrument. It was a larger instrument um, than the one that we use now, so it was, it was quite powerful. 
so it was not always easy to to blend um, with the orchestra and to make you know to be that play the role that you know I was hoping to play in the orchestra. So um, yeah, the clop organ is perhaps better suited to a lot of you know continuo playing and blending, like you say, between different parts of our section. And how are these instruments that you're talking about, the manda organ and the clop organ, uh, how do they differ from um, from larger organs that some of our listeners may be familiar with hearing in places like churches and cathedrals? Well, the clop in particular, um, I'll speak about, um, has only a four-octave keyboard and only one manual. Um, there are only four stops. You know, many of you have seen cathedral organs that have got, you know, whole sort of dashboards of choices for an organist. Um, the pipes are wooden um, and there are no pedals on this chamber organ which make it well suited to a pianist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it must feel, even um, going from uh, a modern piano with even the, the sustain pedal, you know, mm. like it, it's so simple as a mechanism, no no pedaling whatsoever to do here. Yeah. And uh, and yet, uh, you, and what a single manual as well, so not having to do any of the crisscrossing that often happens with dual manual instruments. Yes, yes, it's it's reasonably straightforward. And, and like you say, but the, you know, there is no... There's no pedal and there's no sustain like you would have on the piano. So all of that sustain is done through the fingers and through holding things, which is different to the way we play a piano and put the pedal down and move on. <laughs> now, most English speakers would be familiar with the expression pulling out all the stops. And you mentioned that word stops just before. Uh, perhaps you could tell us, so what are stops what, and how, how does it sort of work? Um, all the stops on the organ create all the different sounds that you hear. Um, um, the sounds, the textures and the volumes, that's how I sort of describe it and how I you know, make my plan. So during the rehearsal process, I experiment with different stops, you know, in different sections of the music to find, you know, the right combination. Um, and these stops are changed throughout a piece, so it's not, you know, set and forget at the beginning of the movement. One, when dynamics change, when different instruments come in, then you need to raise and lower the texture and the volume to suit the, that part of the, of the music. And it's incredible to think that um, you have so much control over what the instrument's going to... I mean, it's quite exacting control as to how your instrument's going to sound. Mm. Um, so whose decision is it for those stops to be used and, and where? Is this a, something that Paul suggests to you, Heidi, I'd like you to do X, Y, Z? Well, it's funny, you know, funny you ask that because Paul likes the organ to be very present in the concert... Um, and he'll often ask for more stops than I have been playing. Um, and there are definitely moments, you know, glorious and triumphant moments for the organ. But I also feel that the role of the organ is to be the glue, like we talked about before, you know, in the continuo that creates this body of sound for people to sit sort of within or on. So sometimes, you know, that's the other role of the organ, you know, more in, as a continuo player. But, um, yeah, there are moments of glory too. The amazing sound that the organ produces, obviously, is, is fantastic for tuning purposes. I mean, uh, string players, but singers as well. We love tuning or, or performing with the organ because mm. you know exactly where the where the the tone or where the pitch is. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's the glue for everyone, isn't it? People all across the stage are, are, are tuned into to that sort of the bass, and there's no way I can change that pitch during the concert. So. <laughs> <laughs> I win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now we've talked about the instrument, but uh, how about your role as a repetiteur or 
repetiteuse, as I should say, in the feminine form. You work with professional singers in the, with the, in the Brandenburg, but other professionals too, and also young musicians. Why don't you tell us about the work you do with young, young musicians more specifically and, and how you prepare them as an accompanist and repetiteuse? Yeah, so my other job is accompanist and performance coach at Skeg Stylinghurst. So I work on a daily basis with young singers and instrumentalists who are preparing for performances and examinations. So it's a very rewarding job because I work with the same students over many years and I can watch their development as a musician and as, you know, as a person through those formative years. Um, uh, one of the things that's been difficult this year back you know, on stage at school is the lack of experience that, you know, many of these kids have had. So a lot of my work is also in managing um, performance anxiety these days and using various tools and strategies to get people to do their best on stage. Now, uh, an interesting conversation I've had previously on the program was with Anthea Cotty and we were talking about psychology and the psychology of performance but also you know what goes on in the mind uh, ahead of performance and and sort of the preparation that you know young young musicians in particular need to become familiar with is that something that resonates with you oh very strongly really strongly so i've been at skeggs for 20 years and when i started i really felt like my job was musically focused and most of my time was spent rehearsing and occasionally we'd you know talk about you know, or help someone that, you know, was struggling to get on the stage. But especially in the last few years, um, with a general lack of performance experience, this has become a much greater issue. And I'm continually exploring ways to support young people um, through my own study and use of mindfulness techniques. Um, we do engage a performance psychologist as well to, you know, get to the nitty gritty of it with the kids. And, and with that sort of um, that sort of approach. Um, do you feel like uh, do you feel like kids finishing high school nowadays are better prepared for professional careers, as it were? Oh, I think yeah. Many kids have the most amazing experiences, you know, in high school these days. Um, so yeah, um, in fact, one of our students from Skeggs is now, you know, performing alongside me in the orchestra. So I like to think that. Um, some of the things and experiences that, you know, we've provided her in the high school setting have made a very simple transition for her onto a professional stage. Now, the student you're referring to is indeed the, the young and wonderful Astrid Gerdes. Now, she was uh, featured heavily um, with another, uh, with a small group of, of young soloists in the Paradisum program at the start of this year. Perhaps you could tell us about that process. Yeah, well, I got a text message, I think it was, one evening from Paul saying, I've just, you know, watched this performance of yours from, you know, from Skeggs. Like, Which one? You know, what? <laughs> and how did you get it? So a mutual friend of um, Astrid's and Paul's had shared this performance. I think we were doing Shepherd on the Rock for her HSE performance. Um, and Paul had watched this video and uh, one of Paul's many talents is spotting talent, um, you know, even on a, you know, a, Apple um, and iPhone recording. So he invited Astrid into the mentorship program, which I couldn't be more excited about having known what the Brandenburg could offer and known what, um, you know, was possible for Astrid. And, yeah, she took to the stage with such conviction and professionalism that she looked like a professional already. In fact, you know, the whole cast of mentorship um, musicians just... It was really unbelievable, actually, how brilliantly they all... Uh, they all um, 
performed in that concert earlier this year. And it was such a wonderful program, I think, because you also had the support of the Brandenburg Choir members who were there in the rehearsal process yeah. because the second half of the, the concert was, of course, Foray's Requiem. So they, uh, although they were the focus of the, the first half and on stage maybe it looked like a tale of two halves, as it were, mm. um, the rehearsal process didn't necessarily feel as disjointed as that. Yeah, I mean, and I was involved in, you know, the auditioning of many of those players as well, so I... You know, I'd met them all as, as individuals, you know, one after the other one day when Paul and I heard them all. And, yeah, and then Lindy and Seb, I think, you know, mentored them, you know, outside of the larger group rehearsals. And um, then they sang in the choir and they sang as sort of soloists and in small ensembles. So they, they had all possible opportunities <laughs> within one season. Yes. And it w I, I remember also talking with uh, Seb, Sebastien Maury, specifically about that because uh, one of Seb's roles often in the uh, with his work as a, as a singer in the choir is to um, assist with French pronunciation, we'll say. He, <laughs> uh, he's a fantastic, and being a, a native uh, French speaker himself, he has a fantastic ear for that sort of thing, but also where to find... Um, f certain compromises between uh, maybe uh, the the historic approach, but then also a more modern approach to how to sing some of these texts, like the the Luli or the the Buisse that was was sung as part of that particular program in Paradisum. Now, was there was there a favourite track um, for you, uh, Heidi, after ha having seen the program, oh, yeah. obviously having performed in the program um, for Paradisum? Did you have a favourite uh, song as part of that first half of the program? Oh gosh, that's a hard question. Look, anything Astrid is in is going to be my favourite, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> One of the really memorable moments for me in that program was actually at the, closer to the end of the the first half, where the young group of singers performed "À la fin cette bergère" by Antoine Boissé. Now, this uh, this track had such energy to it, and and we had musicians coming from left and right, and all working the whole stage, as it were. Did you get a chance to actually watch this uh, from the audience perspective, Heidi? Yeah, I did in Melbourne. Actually, I you know enjoyed the whole first half of the concert. Um, yeah, just watching them with quite complex stage direction as well, not just you know, making a, a debut as a stationary musician. So trying to combine all of those things, um, yeah, really next level debut sort of ex yeah. experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was there was a whole lot of staging that had gone on um, in the rehearsal room as well with Jeroen Lifschitz who yeah. worked, with the, um, uh, worked with the musicians specifically on that, on that yeah. stagecraft and on... Um, not just how to sit on a chair, but um, but how to incorporate the chair into the performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I'm I'm safe from all those sorts of directions, so um, you know I can't imagine what it's like to, you know, be thinking about your diaphragm whilst carrying a chair across the stage. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very true, and uh, and yet they, yeah, Astrid and the other young singers gave a fantastic performance. And in fact, I'll play a little bit of that now. So this was recorded live in Melbourne at the Recital Centre earlier this year as part of the Paradisum concert series.
Now, aside from some of these older works, like the Boise that we've just heard, with Brandenburg, there are often new works dotted among the period repertoire and festive favourites at this time of year. Uh, perhaps we could talk about a, another work that featured the organ in a very prominently, I, I feel, um, which was part of the Brandenburg's 25th anniversary celebrations. Now, Heidi, you rehearsed and performed uh, a work by Elena Katz-Chernan titled Prelude and Cube. I'd love for you to tell us about that project and how that all came together. Oh, that was such an amazing project to be involved in because it was the combination of so many of my favourite um, musician, you know, musicians and, oh, and Elena as a composer. I've always been a huge fan of Elena's music um, and I was really excited and, you know, somewhat intrigued about what she would do with the Brandenburg Orchestra Choir, um, Jane Sheldon um, and Christina Leonard, you know, on a saxophone. Yes, that's right. So... Um, I would have thought that was a bit of a tricky brief um, as a composer. Um, but, you know, Jane Sheldon is a dear friend of mine and, again, someone who I've met through the orchestra. And Christina and I have worked many times together, mainly in the Noel seasons. Exact, um, so it was just a lovely combination of people, personalities and, and a celebration of, you know, making it you know, to 25 years um, for a Baroque orchestra in the Antipodes. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. And the the choir has at times uh, almost a percussive role to play. It's 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 a bit of an unusual take on on choral writing, but um, but uh, probably um, Elena, that's exactly what she was going for in in some ways. Yeah, I think so. And look, I've been involved in commissioning of other works um, with Elena, and and text is you know something that she really uses and plays with and uh, if my memory serves me correctly they're, they're not actually words they're sounds that the that the choir um or that the choir use in this piece rather than words which can i guess can be you know open opportunities as a composer but also if you're going to think about word painting then it can be restricting so she used the choir very percussively so the way she used the baroque orchestra was very interesting um and even the organ you know the way she sort of used the different textures and the pitch of the organ, you know, the range of the um, where she sat the part. And, you know, in the rehearsal process, she could tell from the other side of the room, you know, if she wanted to change, you know, she'd come over and speak to me about making it higher or she had quite um, strong ideas about the role, you know, everyone's role in that piece. Mm. And uh, having Elena there, obviously at hand, to be able to give you feedback for the sound that you were producing, I, I kind yeah. of, that, that just must have been incredible. Oh, it is incredible because, as you know, you know, 98% of the music we play, we don't have that luxury. So it was wonderful to be able to see her vision, you know, make it come alive. So tell me then about the approach that you witnessed, obviously, with the choir. Do the choir respond differently to this sort of new music, as it were, uh, than they, they would with some of the, um, either an old festive favourite or, or some of the, the Baroque repertoire or period repertoire they perform? I just think the choir is so multi-talented that you know it doesn't really matter what you put in front of them and you know a Noel, a Noel concert often has a huge range of repertoire you know from a palestrina through to well a new commission um, and everything in between in multiple different genres but um, I guess for a work like this for Elena's work you know it was a, it was a brand new work so no one no one had the luxury of listening to a, a previous recording so they had to work out a way to make that her writing come to life. 
And that's one of the parts of your roles as a repetiteurs that, that I find fascinating in that on the page you have a, a whole orchestral setting, but of course for the practicalities of rehearsals, you don't often have the whole orchestra there to learn the to work with the choir. So you have to digest, as it were, a lot of what's been written and produce some sort of sound that would resemble the orchestral part so that the choir can get a feel for how and when the, the harmony is going to change, but also the sorts of uh, the forces they might be contending with from the, from the orchestra, whether it be strings or brass or saxophone. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I guess, one of the, one of the harder skills of being a repetitor is to try and create that experience for a soloist or for a choir in a rehearsal room before the orchestra arrived to know when they have a lot of support from the orchestra and when there's minimal support um, and, you know, when they have to take take on board, you know, their own part. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I find that really rewarding to provide people with the opportunity to iron things out in a rehearsal room before, you know, meeting a larger group of people. Um, but, yeah, not easy because each time I go to a rehearsal I... I can have different roles. When the orchestra turn up, then obviously I can't double all their parts, even if it's more fun than my own. So <laughs> I have to remember to <laughs> play the organ part then. Um, yeah, so and then in an orchestral rehearsal, you know, I function as part of, you know, a continuo section or, you know, in a carol, an organ has a different role again. So mm. many hats. And we're going to hear a little bit of that in the Prelude and Cube, but more specifically the second movement, Cube, as it were. And there's a fantastic solo organ moment that, that, that happens. Um, but perhaps I'll put the track on and we can talk a little bit because it, it, it doesn't happen right at the start of the piece. And uh, I'd like us to get to that. So this is the second movement from Elena Katz-Chernan's uh, work, Prelude and Cube, featuring soloist Jane Sheldon, Paul Dyer, the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra and the Brandenburg Choir, recorded in 2015. As Christina takes off there, we can really hear that percussive sound that you were talking about coming from the, the singers. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like writing for um, something you'd write for a string player, I think, off the string or um, verging on pizzicato, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the combination of sounds here, we, we had the choir, then we had the brass, and all of a sudden this, this saxophone yeah. comes out of, out of almost nowhere. I know, she's, um, she's amazing, um, Christina, and... So lovely, Christine, um, that Elena knows her playing so well and really used her whole, you know, range. Now you've you and you've had the pleasure of playing several Noels with Christina Leonard. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps you could tell us uh, what that was like, and maybe uh, yeah, a little bit about your collaborations with Christina. Oh, it's always a pleasure to work with Christina, and again, I now work with Christina at Skeggs as well. So we both cross over these two workplaces. Um, yeah, she just always brings such 
an incredible palette of sound. Um, you know, I've heard her play Bach duos with Ben Dolman and I've heard her play this style of music and um, there's nothing that woman can't do. Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> In fact, she arranges so many things for her instrument, whether it be uh, for, for tenor or for alto or for soprano, saxophone, baritone even. You know, yep. she, she does it all and, yeah. uh, and works very hard at, at, I think, also communicating about about how to approach music with, uh, with younger musicians like yourself, uh, li- li- um, yeah, like as you do at school. Yeah, yeah. oh, look, yeah, she's an just incredible teacher and performer and, yeah, it really has taken saxophone playing in Australia to another level. So now back to the, the piece itself. So tell me what we're going to hear in, in, a, in a short while. Obviously, we've been building and building and building and then what's going to happen? Yeah, maybe the funkiest organ solo that's ever been written. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, the organ has the capacity to produce incredibly powerful and, and loud sounds. Um, and you were talking about that brilliance um, uh, earlier. Perhaps we could come back to that as to what repertoire that sort of sound is appropriate for. Obviously here it seems to, to work and it's been designed to work that way. Uh, but for what other repertoire are you allowed to pull out all the stops as it were? Yeah, look, I'm always looking for at least one opportunity per concert, I think, to pull out all the stops and you know, maybe that's not always appropriate um, and maybe I can't always do that. But um, obviously in Noel and Noel, you know, there's always the last verse of a carol that, you know, one can unleash, you know, with the descant. With the descant. But, um, yeah, look, coronation anthems, obviously, you know, asking for that sort of regal role from the organ. Um, yeah, it's just finding, finding the appropriate sound within, you know, a larger group. I, I have very fond memories of you going out, we're literally pulling out all the stops uh, as part of the, the 2019 series, Handles, Anthems and Fireworks. It was just uh, uh, one of those rare occasions where we had a really big choir and a mm. big orchestra and, um, and then when we travelled to QPAC, we in fact yeah. had so many young singers, yeah. uh, upwards of 200 young singers uh, on stage as well. Yeah. And and if you don't pull out the, all the stops at that stage, you're not you're not going to be heard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in a big concert hall like QPAC, then obviously you can you can stay in that in that um, zone for longer. And and kid, you know, they were less experienced singers, so they need the security of being in the tenth row back or whatever of you know of the choir. Um, it's nice for them to feel those you know the vibrations from the organ. Um, so yeah, it, it's nice every now and then to <laughs> to let to unleash. Now, uh, obviously, at this time of year, uh, well, we all have a lot going on, and we're getting ready for a, a fabulous festive season. Heidi Jones, what are some of the things that we're going to hear as part of this upcoming Noel Noel? I'd like some some little tidbits that you would be happy to share with our listeners. Oh, Paul has oh you know he's done it again and created a beautiful selection of um, music. Um, there'll be some fantastic um, brass playing, brass and string playing, which um, you know it's always a pleasure for me on the organ to work with those those colleagues. 
Um, the choir rehearsal last night, like I was saying earlier, you know, how divine they can even sound in a first rehearsal. So exploration of beautiful choral music, you know, as usual. Um, bit of music theatre-esque sort of things coming, you know, your way. Um, some John Lennon, I believe. <laughs> um, what else were we doing last night? <laughs> um, yeah, the usual carols, of course. Probably a chance for the audience members to sing along. Um, that might be appropriate again this year, having not done that for a few years. Yeah, it's it's been really a strange journey for the the last few years with the choir, and uh, indeed last year, um, I recall Belinda Montgomery and myself. We were talking about just that that all of a sudden this innocuous and and joyful uh, pastime had mm. become somehow dangerous and almost belligerent as an activity. You know, you kn- yeah. why would you sing? You're gonna you're gonna infect yeah. people. Yeah, it, look, even the f- I remember the first choir rehearsal of Noel Noel last year was the first time I'd been in a room with singers because that was not permitted outside sort of professional engagements and like feeling scared in a choir rehearsal, you know, just of, you know, what was, you know, what the potential was. It was quite, um, you know, quite a strange feeling. So, you know, that's, you know, sort of dissipated those feelings now and um, I guess, you know, hopefully... You all get to sing the last verse of O Come All You Faithful this year. Now, talking about O Come All You Faithful, why don't we conclude the program today with a, with the beautiful rendition that was recorded featuring soloist Madison Nonoa in uh, in 2016. Uh, this uh, rendition of O Come All You Faithful is, is basically, as we were talking about, pre-COVID, pulling out all the stops, big choir, uh, and it's it's definitely one of my favourites. Um, Heidi Jones, it's been fabulous talking today. Uh, thank you again for for your time and uh, for welcoming me into your home, and um, and I look forward to hearing everything you have to play uh, uh, in the concert hall. That's right. I'll pull all the stops out for you here. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you for joining me. This has been Tales of Baroque. You've been listening to the immensely talented and lovely Heidi Jones, repetiteur and chamber organist of the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. And wherever you are, thank you for listening and have a wonderful end of the year.